and used it as an illustration of what I'm trying to do in terms of two extremes to avoid. In terms of um, living grace, that is, that is fleshing out grace, <clears throat> there are a couple of extremes that you have to, ex- uh, to um, avoid. One of those um, is Phariseeism slash legalism. And you might remember that last week as we were looking at Matthew 6, the word that is used there is hypocrites. That is, avoid the hypocrites. And, um, and I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 23 because you recall, I hope, that I made a leap. The leap was from hypocrites to Pharisees. And I want you to see that Jesus does the same thing in uh, Matthew chapter 23 um, because we said last week that the, the number one flaw of legalism is self-glory, the desire to be viewed of men or seen of men. And uh, in, in Matthew 23, Jesus says this, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their work. For they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders. They put, they put themselves, will not, but themselves will not uh, move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen of men. All I'm saying is that Jesus says that hypocrites love to be seen of men and Pharisees love to be seen of men. And I'm suggesting to you that what Jesus has in mind in Matthew 6 is the Pharisee, the legalist. And we said last week that the number one error and and flaw of legalism is its desire to to parade in front of men, to be applauded, to be seen, to to have their righteousness uh, fleshed out in front of men. And then the other extreme was, of course, antinomianism, which is um, characterized by basically suggesting that there is no standard. It's a mindlessness. It is nothing guides me but me. And they appeal to nothing outside themselves. To, to, uh, they become a law unto themselves and live um, according to no law. And those are the two extremes. And those were the two fundamental flaws. Now let me tell you before we get going, because tonight I hope we can get into the analysis of a Pharisee, but I need to say this first. Let me tell you a little bit about what's at stake in our discussions, ladies and gentlemen, because I think uh, there's something very important, and I'm not the only one. I'm going to read to you from Chuck Swindoll, which is a name that many of you revere, as do I. Um, One of the things that is at stake, ladies and gentlemen, is, is liberty. Freedom, not, not so much democracy. I'm not talking about democracy. What's at stake is spiritual freedom. The, the freedom that you and I ought to enjoy because we're related to Jesus Christ. Now, uh, if you don't agree, let, let me just sh- uh, read you a couple of things from, from um, Chuck Swindoll. Um, listen to this. This is rather lengthy, but I, maybe I'll try to shorten it just a little bit. The great weapon of authoritarianism, secular or, scandal, uh, secular or religious, is legalism. The manufacturing and manipulation of rules for the purpose of illegitimate control. Perhaps the most damaging of all the perversions of God's will and Christ's work. Legalism clings to law at the expense of grace. To the letter in place of spirit. Legalism is one more expression of the human compulsion for security. If we can vigorously enforce an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts, 
with an emphasis on external behavior, we not only can control unpredictable human beings, but have God's favor as well. Gang, um, Swindoll says that um, legalism, strict legalism uh, in leadership drains the very life out of a church. Um, perhaps I should reemphasize that it is a liberty you will have to fight for. Why? Because the ranks of Christianity are full of those who compare and would love to control and manipulate you so you will become as miserable as they are. Legalism is an attitude, a mentality based on pride. It is obsessive conformity to an artificial standard for the purpose of exalting oneself. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, there are a few things that I hate worse than legalism in the church. And, and I think you've been around here long enough, you know that. Legalism is so subtle, so insidious. And, um, I, and I have found that it's uh, especially tempting. It's especially appealing to those whose temperaments tend towards pleasing people. That is, legalism is particularly comely or appealing to people who have a flaw of wanting to please their peers and get their approval. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if that's true, then all of us must beware because all of us are eager to get the praise and applause of men, are we not? Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the spirit of the Pharisee wanting the approval and praise of men. I'm telling you that uh, if grace is not properly fleshed out and understood and lived out among the people of God, the thing that will be lost, the thing that will be lost is freedom, liberty in Christ, the, the thing that's supposed to be ours by possession because of a relationship with Jesus. Um, let, let me just read you um, uh, real quickly. Um, in John 8, 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Legalism will rob you of that, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, I think that's a great sadness because we, in the evangelical world, particularly in the Bible Belt, there is gobs and goodles of this kind of stuff being robbed of what is rightly ours in a relationship to Christ. The other thing, of course, um, that I'm afraid of in terms of this study is that somebody else will take things to another extreme. And um, let, me, let me just read you uh, just a couple of statements out of the New Testament where people who, who've been here, oh, then if it's not any law, then, 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 then I can live any way I want. And they say, um, uh, but, but beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. There has to be some concern on our parts as to how our liberty is used. But we must also fight it for that very liberty. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, one of the things that I have pledged to you and I will pledge all over again, the thing 
that I, one of the things that I hope to perform as your pastor is to is to prevent you from ever being robbed of the liberty that is ours in Christ. I can say this. Freedom is dangerous. I know that. Because some are going to use it, just like Paul says, just like they did in the Corinthian church, they used their freedom inappropriately. Now, Eric Fromm, in his book, Escape from Freedom, says that people are afraid of freedom, so they look to a father figure to tell us what to, to tell them what to do because it provides for them security you in the, in the, on occasion there are those who would rather pay me to do their thinking for them and tell them what they should and shouldn't do than to exercise this glorious privilege of living out my freedom and having my freedom constrained by the word of God. I don't want to do that work, so I'll just let Jimmy tell me what ought to be done. Um, freedom is scary, ladies and gentlemen, and I know that, and I know there will always be abuses along with it because we're no better than Corinth, and you certainly don't have the advantages of an Apostle Paul um, at your disposal. But it is something that we must fight to maintain because it is something that the truth was supposed to give us. You will know truth, and the truth will set you free. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, I think is worth arguing over, and something worth defending. <clears throat> now, having said that, um, that's what I think is at stake. Let's begin tonight to evaluate Pharisaism, or legalism. Um... What is so unfortunate, you know, I am not a big TV watcher. Um, um, I asked my wife the other night, um, what do people our age who have empty nests do with their time at night? And she said, they watch a lot of television. And I thought, oh my goodness, I hope that doesn't happen to me. I don't want to watch a lot of television, but maybe that's what folks are doing. But on television, there is this show that I have to tell you I've never seen in its entirety. I've seen snatches of it, but it's, I'm never up this late. It's called Saturday Night Live. Never seen it. But I do know that one of the, um, the stand, I, I think it's been over several years, but one of the standard, remember Lily Tomlin used to do that thing, the one ringy dingy dude? Was that Saturday? Yeah. Um, but there was another thing by a woman by the name of Dana Carver, and you know who, what it was. It was the church lady. And uh, the church lady has this peg, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the church lady would always present us in the light of being judgmental, critical, um, uh, trying to find something to, um, you know, the, she would walk in and the, and the ladies on the front dress, uh, on the front row, she would criticize and, and talk about uh, the... Um, how they were dressed and what they were wearing and all that business. Well, my point is simply this. When the world gets ready to think about what we're like, that is how we are portrayed. We're quick to judge, we're quick to critique, and we think it is our duty and right. And the, the worst part about legalism or Phariseeism, well, one of the reasons that Phariseeism is so dangerous is that it disguises itself as a form of enlightenment. 
or a form of super spirituality. I would never do something like that. Because I am so far above that. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the spirit of the Pharisee. And it is it is devilish because it garbs itself in some kind of cloak of respectability when in fact it is soundly and roundly condemned by Jesus and everything in the scriptures. Um, <clears throat> I do believe, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately there's a little bit of Phariseeism in all of us. And that's what I hope you will confront and dig out and uh, do something with. As I said last week, um, I think I've got three. I'm not sure of that. But there are, let's say three, lines of argument that I want to I have or in terms of analysis of a, of a Pharisee that I want you to think through. The first has to do with this fundamental flaw in Phariseeism and legalism is that being of self-glory, the desire to be seen. It is, there is in the legalist, whether he was ready and willing to admit it or not, a ravenous hunger for the praise of men. The desire to be highly esteemed by my group. Um, exalting oneself. Uh, being thought of as more spiritual than the others because I am doing these things that are so blasted observable for all of you. I mean, if you can only know how much time I spend with God in my private devotions. Then you will think better of me, and you will think me highly spiritual. The, um, the legalist's philosophy is, how do I look? Not, um, are we right, but do we look right? Because that's important. Not that I that I am right, but that the crowd thinks I am, or appears to be, that I appear to be right. What's the point of living a righteous life if no one knows about it? I want people to know just how far advanced I am, particularly compared to them. Um, you know, after all, the only thing more important than being humble is appearing humble. And as long as people can view me like that, that's, that's, that's the goal of the, the Pharisee. Um, it's, a, it's a showy, uh, on display, kind of fleshing out of my spirituality. Um, <clears throat> the Pharisees, of course, are the great-grandfathers of the how-do-we-look cult. But I'm afraid that um, their Christian siblings have far, far outdone them. Um, we, uh, we've got it down to a fine art. I, I think we find churches even asking, um, what, does, what will that look like? You know, guys, um, I remember years ago there was a, um, um, an occasion where um, I wanted to try and 
emphasize and encourage people into small groups. And uh, I mean, it has nothing to do, it wasn't in my pastoral uh, experience at Gracie Van, but I wanted to encourage people in, in uh, to small groups and felt that small groups was more important than gathering on Wednesday night if they got into a good small group experience. And I remember saying that, that I think that we should uh, cancel Wednesday night and get um, um, people into small groups. And you know how I was defeated? I was defeated on this ground of argument. What is it going to look like when people drive by our church on Wednesday nights and they see that our lights are not on? That's how I was beat. That, that, that's, that's the grounds upon which I was voted down. Not what's best for our people, but what will happen? What will people think? How does it look? What will be people's impression about us if we turn off the lights on Wednesday night? Um, very honestly, ladies and gentlemen, I have wrestled, in fact, the staff knows this, about canceling church on Wednesday night on the 14th. Because I'm wondering if in the minds of some of you that that somehow is catering to a secular holiday. Well, we decided to take that chance because we felt like Marital love was something biblically worth supporting. But there is a concern among some. What will people think <coughs> if we don't have our lights on? Um, one, of the, um, one of the scary parts about emphasizing grace. Um, I'll tell you a story about Martin Luther um, <clears throat> Martin Luther was, of course, uh, fought by the Roman Catholic Church because of this emphasis upon grace, justification by faith alone. And the Roman Catholic hierarchy um, fought him on the grounds of the proliferation of error. That is, if you continue to preach this, the people are going to run wild. And um, Martin Luther's reply was, so be it. Because Martin Luther was concerned about what the truth was, not how people would perceive it, not how they would think or conclude it might look. <clears throat> you know, Christians, Sunday morning after Sunday morning after Sunday morning, tote their Bibles to church and haven't read it in months. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know, if you do that, you have the spirit of the Pharisee in you. Because the only reason you're bringing your Bible to church is because you want to look good. The issue is not, I can't wait to study this book, because if you couldn't wait to study the book, you shouldn't have been studying back at your house. But we got to get our Bibles down, and we got to walk into church with our Bibles in our hands. That is Phariseeism because it, it, it allows you to look um, or to look good or to make certain impressions. That is born, that is, everybody knows that how the, important the Bible is around here at Gracie Van. We try to teach it with regularity and with, uh, with passion and with loyalty. And um, the, the, if I'm going to... Often, the desire to tote my Bible is born 
out of a, um, a desire to please the group of which I am a part. Um, I think I've told you this story before, but when, um, when I was um, uh, a new Christian, um, I'd been a Christian, I became a Christian in September, and later that month I found myself at a banquet where I was signing up to learn how to do evangelism. Uh, you know, Jim Kennedy, uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, and, and uh, I became a Christian in early September, and uh, later that month they had a banquet at the Gulf Ocean Mile. And, uh, you know, I heard there was free food over there, and, uh, so why not go? And so we signed up to go, never having the slightest idea what we were getting into. And by the time I got out of there, I'd signed up to be trained um, in lay evangelism. But the point is this, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I'm not, um, I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate um, evangelism by by any means. But at Coral Ridge, there is a mark of the spiritual, and the mark of the spiritual at Coral Ridge is: Do you share your faith personally, individually? Now, you know that's a wonderful thing. And I hope you know how to share your faith, and I hope you do share your faith, and I hope it comes out frequently. But, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't—that is not supposed to be a badge, a um, uh, an indication that I'm particularly spiritual. I may be, but the fact that I share my faith doesn't mean that I am. And the fact that I share my faith may be designed to do nothing more than please you. Um, you know, we're not a charismatic church here at Gracie Band, but some of you have come out of charismatic churches. And you know what the mark of the truly spiritual is in the charismatic church. It's speaking in tongues. Now, I'm not saying anything about the pros or cons about speaking in tongues, but I'm telling you, because of my group and the pressure I get from my group, there's a sense which I've got to speak in tongues because I'm considered spiritual. I'm considered unspiritual if I don't. Um, memorizing verses. Why you do that? Um, you know, it, 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 the list goes on and on. I'm telling you, one of the things that I see currently, um, well, not so much currently, but has been, is homeschooling. I mean, if you're really spiritual, you'll homeschool your, homeschool your kids. Really, the, the spiritual do that. Um, the non-spiritual just pay for them to go off to someplace else. But the spiritual, they're really committed to seeing their children trained up rightly. They, they homeschool. Well, if you want to homeschool, that's wonderful. But, ladies and gentlemen, that is not necessarily a mark of anything. And it can never be turned into that. Um, rather, having the... the um, the the freedom to follow Christ. By the way, I'll tell you this one too. Um, where I came from in Florida, just in, in Ocala, one of the marks of spirituality was breastfeeding. <laughs> that leaves me out. <laughs> but if you're really a committed believer. You wouldn't dream of putting your baby on a bottle. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it can go on and on and on because it is born, it is spawned by a desire to appear something for my group. The, the, um, 
the subtle pressure on the Christian in the Pharisaic group is everybody needs to be like me. And so, okay, well, you know, he's the standard, so therefore I am going to adjust my life <coughs> so I can be like the standard. When in fact, I'm not the standard and neither are you. And neither is your homeschooling, and neither is your breastfeeding, and neither is your memorizing the verses, and neither is your doing evangelism. And ladies and gentlemen, you know, I'm in favor of all those things. But when they become a mark of what is spiritual, they become devilish. Um, um, one, of the, one of the little tricks that is used by my legalist friends to uh, refute me is they, they go to a text. In fact, you might want to turn there. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. Um, this is not going to work for many of y'all because I think you've probably got more. Anybody got a King James Bible in here? Anybody got? Good. Jimmy's got a King. All right, Jimmy, I want you to read for us First Thessalonians 5, verse 22. Could you read that loud enough for everybody to hear it? Abstain from all appearance. Okay, that's, that's all I wanted you. The King James says, abstain from every appearance of evil. And so my legalistic friend turns me to that text and says, you see there, appearances are important. And so we have to be concerned about appearances. Well, <clears throat> folks, unfortunately, the um, a, a, a decent translation of that text wouldn't allow you to do that. Because the idea is, in fact, the New King James says, abstain from every form of evil. It's just, a, it's just an unfortunate kind of impression because of the translation of the 1611 um, King James Bible. The idea is not that we are being prohibited or being deterred from appearances. What the text is trying to tell us is avoid all kinds of evil, every form of evil. The emphasis is on the evil, not the appearance of it being evil. Um, you know, um, I'll probably say this and run out that door so that nobody will beat me up. But you know, um, I, I for one... Now, you see, here, here's one of those risky statements that some of you are going to misapply. I, for one, um, cannot believe that if Jesus were to walk the streets today, that he wouldn't be seen in a bar. Oh, you know what? I'm glad my children are in here to hear Dr. Young what he said. Did you hear what he said? He's, he's encouraging our kids to go to Mars. <laughs> I, I'm not doing anything of the, of the sort. You know, um, years ago, and, and we'll have to quit. And by the way, if you're in the choir, you need to hop out of here quick because you're, you're, you're singing for us on Sunday. But years ago, um, you know, I've always had trouble with women. You know, they've just always really been attracted to me. Um, <laughs> that's just one of those fantasies that I live. <laughs> yeah. But um, 
I've had people, and, and I've really been real, I mean, I've, I've listened. They, they, you know, I will take from time to time. In fact, I'm going to do it Saturday. In between our break for the systematic theology class, I am taking a young college sophomore out to lunch. And I've, I've been, um, I've been rebuked for that because, you know, it just doesn't look good. And you know, um, at one point I stopped because I thought, well, you know, you're right. It doesn't look good. Man, I don't just three years old. Oh, yeah. I saw them holding my wife sees me in the restaurant while I'm in there with her. You know. <laughs> and yet, um, I turned to the New Testament and I see Jesus dealing with prostitutes and having them come fling their bodies all over him and uh, washing his feet with his, or with their hair and, you know, crying and kissing on him and all that business. And he didn't seem to be concerned about that a bit. So I decided, what the heck? You know, it's your problem. I, because you're concerned about appearances and, and I'm telling you, that is a mock of a Pharisee. If you're so concerned about appearances, what will people say about me? That's self-glory, ladies and gentlemen. And it's a Pharisee, a Pharisee that's in you. Now, I say again, we're all recovering. We were all trained to be Pharisees. And hopefully, never again Will we make that one mistake that appearances prevent us from doing what is right? We'll, can, we'll finish up our analysis of Phariseeism next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you will uh, prevent me from imbalancing this presentation. Uh, I am prone to imbalance. And... Um, because of my own sin, I can distort what is true. And I pray that you will prevent that and that your people will hear and not imbalance, but marvelously biblical balance. I pray that they might um, learn to flesh out all that's beautiful about being a Christian, that they might find their freedom something that breathes fresh air into their souls, and that their, their concerns would not be whether the preacher is pleased or whether my group happens to approve, but that the concern might be that Jesus Christ be smiling, that our, that our lawgiver is not the session. The lawgiver is not the preacher. The lawgiver is not the group. But oh, there is a law but it's given by the Savior. And so our concern is not what others conclude what we're doing appears wrong, but that our Savior might be smiling at all that we're accomplishing in his name. Now, Father, dismiss us with a sense of your blessing and um, root out from among us every individual heart, every vestige, of Phariseeism. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and we'll continue this next week.